Hey, welcome to the Covenant Courses podcast. My name is Weston Brown, and this is the podcast where we are currently exploring a course called Foundations of Effective Bible Study. And this week, Taylor and I are going to begin uh, talking about the inductive Bible study method, which is something we've mentioned in previous episodes. It's a process of reading and interpreting and applying the Word of God in our lives. So we're going to start unpacking that today. We're going to specifically look at that step of observation. And let's go ahead and get into this week's conversation. Taylor, I want to start by um, just talking about the inductive method, but also comparing it to um, a few other ways of reading the Bible. Um, and it's probably helpful to say there are a lot of different like Bible study methods out there. And closer to the end of this course, we'll look at a few other ones as well. But I really, I really see the inductive model as, as not just a Bible study method, but, but just as a like good and healthy way of reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, and we'll explain a little bit more about what it is in just a moment, but um, I'm curious for you, just just in your daily life, what is what does your time in the Word look like right now? Like when when you're when you're reading Scripture, like are you are you journaling or, or how are you engaging with it on a daily basis? Yeah, so I've got there's a few different ways that I'll try to engage with Scripture every day. Most recently, I've started listening to mm, yeah. the recorded ESV again because there's I think you might know the guy's name, but there's there's yeah. a guy out there who's just got a great speaking voice. If you if you have uh, the ESV Bible app, mm-hmm. um, which I think is free to download, there there uh, there is audio on that app, so you can listen to the Bible. And I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but his voice is tremendous. It's a it's a great reading voice. Yeah, it's, it's like a really has a lot of gravitas. It's James it. Earl Jones esque, yeah, almost. <laughs> but yeah, so one of the things, the reason that's so interesting for me is he's able to take text that otherwise takes a lot of brain power for me to even get through. Like there are some sentences in maybe Paul's writing or say we're reading the book of Numbers and we're starting with just this long list. It's it's a in fact a list of lists. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that stuff can be really difficult mentally to get through. And that that's been helpful to have somebody else who has a really good delivery read that stuff out. And I end up yeah. I end up getting a lot more from it than maybe I would by going through and, and just seeing the words on paper. Well, so are you just listening or are you reading along no. as you listen? Oh, oh, okay. Great question. So a lot of this recently has been just listening because I'll, I'll do this in the car yeah. to and from work. Uh-huh. Sometimes when I'm uh, at work sitting at my desk, I'll do this. But Generally, that's not the main, my main method of interacting with Scripture. Generally, yeah. I'm reading in the morning, and so I'm, I'm getting up every morning and reading when I can. And then I'd like to read a little bit as well before I go to bed, but I also have this stack of books on my bedside table that generally went out. And so I try to, yeah. I try to read every morning. But as far as a process, when I get up and settle in and have my Bible, it's generally going to be one of two things that I'm doing. One is reading Scripture alongside a commentary because over the oh, wow. last year especially I've I've gotten I've gotten so much out of having and specifically commentaries that provide 
cultural and historical context for me. I've gotten a lot out of understanding that side of the picture. Okay. Or I'll read alongside a journal. Mm. Those two things, other than maybe listening to scripture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, audio Bible or um, reading like on a Sunday gathering in community, those two things are my go-to methods. And it has been kind of my tried and true ways of engaging with scripture, yeah. which is really a 180 from how I used to read it. And that was the Bible and, and nothing else, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe just a passage or even a verse, and then just me and my thoughts. Yeah, and yeah. it's a, it's a very it's a very different experience and a very more holistic experience when I can apply some of those outside resources to help me out with this. Yeah. you know, I, and I do I want to make a distinction here between reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and we've talked about that a little bit. We've we've said that studying the Bible is is what you do after you read the Bible. Like it starts with reading and then studying is, is anything else past that. Yeah. Um, and, and what I find in my own life is, is that Bible study, like intense Bible study, is not a daily thing for me. Um, Bible reading is a daily thing where I'm just sort of taking it in and sitting with it or meditating on it. Um, but like deep Bible study is not something uh, I do every single day. It's it's typically more of a once or twice a week type thing for me. Um, and so I say that to say don't don't feel like you're a, a terrible Christian if you're not doing like intense deep Bible study every single day, um, because to some extent it is something that you do need to set aside a little bit of time for. You know, yeah. if, if you don't have 20 or 30 minutes to devote to uh, some Bible study, then use use the five or 10 minutes that you do have to just commit yourself to some Bible reading. To read. And, um, and just sit with the text, meditate on it, mull it over in your mind. Uh, you know, we've talked about memorizing stuff in the past. Yeah. All of that's really healthy. And then, and then line out sometimes during your week uh, that you can d- devote to uh, deeper study of the Scripture. Yeah. And that happens to be where I am right now. My, yeah. my season of life allows me to have a lot more time mm-hmm. to spend in the mornings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, before, especially before I started taking my online seminary classes, most of my morning time was just, it, it, was, it was me reading, but reading large chunks of Scripture, mm. and then maybe journaling. But that was just as helpful as what I'm getting now, uh, I just think with some better direction. Yeah. In the past, when I when I mentioned that 180, like in the past it was let's read let's read a verse or two mm-hmm. and then let's kind of formulate our own hypothesis based on this. Rather than, like you were mentioning, just reading big chunks of text. Yeah. Reading yeah. as much I could as I could in whatever time I had and then sitting with that. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That's really what we're going to focus on today is um, is reading and observing the Scripture. And uh, that's step one in what's known as the inductive uh, Bible study process or method. And, and like I said a minute ago, I, I kind of see this process as sort of an overarching process that you can, you can take a bunch of different Bible study methods and models and put them under this umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, then th- that word inductive too, that might be a strange word to you. What does that mean? Um, ultimately, that word is getting at this idea that we want to draw the truth 
out of a text. Um, we want to let the text speak for itself. Um, another word that gets used, uh, you know, kind of a fancy um, theologian word is the word exegesis. That ex prefix meaning we want to take something out of this. Um, and exegesis would be the opposite of eisegesis, which is I'm going to try to insert a perspective or an opinion into the text. Yeah. And so that, that inductive process is the process of starting with the particulars and then working our way out to the general. So I'm going to start with a text of Scripture. I've got all the particulars here in this text, and I'm going to make my way through it and dig into it and then work my way out to an understanding of what that text means and how it could or should be applied to my life. Yeah. Um, so those are the three basic steps of the inductive process is I'm going to observe or read the passage and really like close read, like really take note of what's there on the page. And then step two is I want to interpret the passage, um, which is I want to, I want to discover what the meaning of the text is, um, and there are not multiple meanings. There, you know, like a, a passage of scripture doesn't mean fifteen different things. That's right. It means God has has an intention, and the author had an intention when he wrote the text. Um, but then the third step, once we've uh, observed clearly and interpreted clearly, is we want to apply it. So application would be the third step in the process. And application is the, is the step where I take this and ask, what does this mean for me, mm-hmm. right? Now that I've, I've, I've seen what's there on the page, I've, I've um, come to the conclusion of, of what the text means, I then ask, what does it mean to me? And, and those, those three steps are critical, and it's important that we follow them in that order because I don't know about you, but my tendency is to want to read a text quickly and immediately go, what does that mean for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How many how many Bible studies have you been in where the observe part of it is everybody take this 30 seconds, read this passage, yeah. and then the interpretive part is do this in your head. <laughs> real right, quick. Real, real quick. quick. Yeah. And, yeah. and like you said, a lot of it is, is more or less figuring out what it means to you yeah. so that the application part can be, what did everybody get from it? Mm-hmm. And then you may come up with six different quote-unquote, truths that were drawn from a passage. And yes. I guess it's important to note that this stuff isn't done maliciously, but if we're saying that Scripture has a truth, that if, if any given passage and book was written by an author and has a truth in it, then we owe it to them and to God to do the hard work of discerning what that truth is yeah. and not what's yeah. not what's good or maybe convenient for me. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is establishing context. Mm-hmm. Like so when we're when we're reading and observing a passage, before we can interpret it clearly, we have to establish an accurate context for the passage. Yeah. Otherwise, you can take the Bible and make it mean whatever you want it to mean mm-hmm. um, by taking it out of context. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, but but context is key. 
if you don't have context for a passage of scripture, it is impossible for you to interpret it clearly and accurately. And, and as a result, it's impossible for you to apply it correctly to your life okay. as well. So, so that's what in, inducing means, the inductive method or exegesis, is we want to draw the truth out of a text. We want to start with the particulars, work our way out to the general. Uh, the opposite of that would be what you could call the deductive method, um, which is not necessarily what we would promote. Um, and, and it's helpful to me, like it's, it's hard to keep these words straight, but, but it's helpful for me to think of Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. because Sherlock Holmes is, whenever he's like on a case, he's trying to deduce what has happened, meaning he has a lot of the general facts. He knows that like this person was murdered. He maybe knows that the murder weapon was this particular murder weapon. So he's got some general facts but he's got to deduce his way down to the particulars. He's got to figure out who the murderer was, when it happened, where it happened, I mean, all the things. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes with the scripture, what, what people want to do is, is we want to start with an opinion or a premise that I already have, and then I want to try to find verses that support the opinion or premise that I already have in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what we're saying we should be doing. Um, because then I'm taking my perspective and I'm trying to like insert it into the text. So that would be that eisegesis instead of exegesis right. type things. That makes sense? Yeah. So, so to try to reword that for my own, for my own sake. So inductive studying then is finding the text that we believe exists in scripture, whereas deductive would be finding, or sorry, finding a truth that we believe exists in in scripture, whereas deductive would be kind of taking what we think is a truth and then making that fit into different parts of scripture. Yes, which which is one of the reasons why uh, the Bible um, gets so misused in our world today, is because... You know, so for example, one of the truths that we take away from Scripture after after doing this inductive process is the uh, the idea of total depravity, mm-hmm. which is is the notion that everybody is sinful. Like, there's nobody except Christ who is not sinful. Like, we are all born into sin. We all struggle with sin. It it is our nature. It is. Um, inherent within us. Um, And yet, a common perspective in our world today is that that is not true and that people are actually inherently good. Mm -hmm. And so if your perspective, uh, just a perspective you've picked up from culture, is that everybody is inherently good, then you might take that perspective and try to then apply your perspective to the Bible by finding texts that seemingly would support what you already believe to be true. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so hopefully you see how that can be incredibly pro- problematic um, because more than likely, in order to find texts or verses to support your premise or your perspective, you have to take them out of context. You have to like use them in a way that the author wasn't intending or that God wasn't intending in order to support your premise. Yeah. Um, so that's not what we want to do. Um, another another thing that some people will do, and sometimes this is called different things. We're going to call it the springboard method, um, which is I'm going to take a verse, 
um, that maybe talks about something and I'm, I'm going to use it as a springboard to really talk about whatever I want to talk about. Right. And, um, so, so like an example of that, for example, um, an example of that, for example, perfect the department of redundancy department, <laughs> um, is, uh, to take a verse like Matthew four, four, which, uh, Jesus says in that verse, uh, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That's Jesus in the wilderness, uh, facing temptation, Satan comes and presents him with a temptation, and Jesus responds, man shall not live on bread alone. Um, so I'm going to take that verse, and then I'm going to take a verse like Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And so like, based on those two verses alone, taken out of context with, with no consideration of where they fit in the biblical story or the narrative or any of those kinds of things, the opinion that I'm going to come away with, man shall not live on bread alone, and the blessing of the Lord makes rich, is that we should all live wealthy, yeah, like royalty. Yeah. We should eat good food, we should pursue having a lot of money, and here are two verses that seemingly support this, this opinion that I have. You know what I love about that? As you did it, you couldn't help yourself. You were you were giving an example of the springboard, but you actually <laughs> but I started. Had to, I had by, to set up some context. Setting up well. context. context from <laughs> Here's what Jesus before. is doing. Here's where this is happening. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's just so ingrained. It in you. I love it. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, in, in the same way, um, uh, so that's that's springboarding off of a text uh, to to work back a step to the, that deductive uh, idea. That's where we're starting with a premise, and then I'm finding texts that seemingly support it. Mm -hmm. And we could use that exact same verse, Matthew 4, 4, um, to support my premise, I've always believed that man should not live a poor, beggarly life. Like, I've always believed that, that God's intention for mankind isn't that we would be poor or that we would have to ask other people for help with things. Yeah. And the, the text I'm going to use to support that is Jesus saying, man shall not live on bread alone. Because it takes steak too, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Steak and potatoes. Because clearly Jesus's intention is that we would not only be eating, eating bread. Right. And so I feel like, is there a, a telltale sign here that you're using the deductive method if you find yourself looking through... Um, looking through like the the word concordance in the back of your Bible to find a bunch of different scriptures and pick the one that best fits. Yeah, that's possible. Because um, I used to do a lot of that. Yeah. I can remember like you know. So let's take this one. Poor. Yeah. Let's look through all the verses for poor and go. No, right. that, that's right. not right. No, that's not right. Oh, this one that feels good. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with what a concordance is, your Bible might have this. Um, there are also standalone concordances that you can purchase. Uh, the most famous of which is called Strong's Concordance. But a concordance is basically, uh, it's, it's a reference book where um, you can look up different words and find all the places in Scripture where those words are used. So yes, you could find every verse in the Bible that uses the word poor. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and yes, that's, that's an example of what we're talking about, where I have an opinion and I'm going to go try to find all the scriptures that might seemingly support that opinion. So I might use a concordance and look up the word poor and, and, and go through all of those texts until I find one that seemingly supports the position that I already hold. Yeah, and the two big things that both the springboard and the deductive method have missed out on is, is the thing that we, we kind of led this off with, which is context. 
Correct. Yeah. I, I have to like in, in the example we just gave, my opinion is I've always believed that men should be rich yeah. or that at the very least we shouldn't be impoverished. And so I'm going to take the, these words of Jesus uh, out of context. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip them out of the section of scripture that they're in, the chapter that they're in, the book that they're in, the situation that Jesus is in when he says these words. I'm going to remove them from the, the person he's talking to. I'm going to take, I'm going to just take it out and have it just stand alone by itself and use it as a proof text for the thing that I'm claiming. Yeah. And that is a misuse of scripture. It's a misuse of scripture. And, um, and the reason is you wouldn't do this to any other book. That's right. You wouldn't read anything like that. That's right. Um, and so it's, it's coming to the Bible with an open mind. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, and, and this is hard. I mean, this is hard for me. I have uh, opinions and thoughts, and I have things that I've heard people tell me that the Bible teaches. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I am coming to the Scripture with presuppositions. I already think that the Bible says something like this, um, even though it may not. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Yeah. The only way I actually figure out if I'm right or wrong is by... Um, doing the inductive method. It's, it's by, in an open-minded way, in sort of an intellectually honest way, reading the text, examining the text, doing the work of establishing context, and then interpreting the text based on the context, yeah. uh, and then finally working out to the place where it applies to everyday life yeah. or my life. So, um, so yeah, this is... This may seem like something that doesn't relate to everyday people, um, but but it really does because if you're not engaging the scripture in this way, it's quite possible that you could inadvertently be twisting it or believing things that are untrue in in your own life. Um, but this is especially critical if you're somebody who uh, would ever find um, his or herself in a situation where you're teaching the mm-hmm. Bible. You may not be a preacher, but you might be a Bible study leader or a Sunday school teacher or involved with something like BSF or, you know, whatever, you know, or just leading a devotional at your office. I don't yeah. know. Um, no, matter, no matter who you are, like this is, this is kind of step one in how we accurately handle the Word of God. So we want to do this inductive method, and again, that method is we want to observe the text, we then want to interpret the text, and then we want to apply the text. So okay. today we're going to talk about that observation piece, and in the, in the coming weeks we're going to spend some time on interpretation, which is, uh, I think, scary to a lot of people, and people think, man, I don't know enough to interpret the Bible, Right. I need someone else to interpret it for me. Um, you mentioned earlier reading the Bible with a commentary, like a commentary is an interpretation mm-hmm. of the Bible. It's, it's somebody saying, here's what this text means. Um, and those are certainly helpful, but there's a lot of interpreted, uh, interpretive work we can do ourselves. Like yeah. we don't have to uh, always have somebody else 
who's more uh, experienced or intelligent or has more academic, you know, papers on their wall than you do in order to help us with those things. Um, so let's start talking about three goals of observation. And the first one, Taylor, would be that we want to discover the nature of the text. Um, and this relates to uh, first asking the question, what sort of genre of literature are we reading here? Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about just all of the different genres that we find in the Bible. Right. So obviously there's narrative, and I, and I think that's maybe what folks will come to the Bible expecting the most of, yeah. that we get yeah. just kind of a, a, a narrative, storytelling, linear flow of thought as right. we progress through a story. Um, and maybe other folks will also assume there will be a lot of law yeah. Right. And, and I think we talked about some of that, like the Bible is right. not just a book of laws, but That's it right. includes law as yeah. a genre, narrative. So kind of a traditional storytelling as a genre. It includes history. Yeah. It includes poetry. It, the, a third of your Bible is poetry. And right. that can be a bit off putting. Right. Because it's um, in most cases, Hebrew poetry. Yeah. Which is very different. Right. No roses English are red, poetry, right? violets are blue. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, we we and I, I'm assuming we'll spend much more time down the road talking about Hebrew sure. poetry. Well, so the, probably the best example of Hebrew poetry in your Bible is the Psalms. Yeah, like that is that's the one that most people are going to be uh, most familiar with. Um, we mentioned in past weeks that the Book of Job is a book of poetry as well, mm-hmm. even though that might read to you more like a narrative. Yeah, it's actually poetic in nature, and um, you know there are other poetical books like Lamentations and Song of Solomon and Proverbs, and and, and then and, you've got poetry mixed into books. That's right, and then yeah. that's you have poetry in the New Testament as well. Like yeah. if you think of like the Magnificat um, in the Gospels, like so the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are essentially biographical narratives. Um, even though the genre, as we've said before, is the genre of gospel, which means it's not like an exhaustive biography of Jesus. It's giving us snapshots of Jesus. But even within the gospels, you find poetry, uh, like Mary's song called the Magnificat, um, in which she praises the Lord after she learns that she's going to give birth. Um, you find parable, Mm -hmm. which is another literary form that Jesus uses, which is sort of an allegorical, um, literary form. Um, so, yeah, uh, you find apocalyptic yeah. literature in the Bible as well. You find that uh, some in the Old Testament, like in the book of Daniel. You find it in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation. Yeah, and that um, one kind of stands on its own because it really is a genre that, outside of Scripture and some other ancient Near Eastern texts, does not exist anymore. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. So we want to we start there. We want to discover the nature of the text. Um, what genre is this? Uh, who is the author? Um, we know God is the ultimate author. We've talked about that. But who is the human author here? That's a key question. Mm-hmm. Um, who, uh, who is the author writing to? Uh, what time period is the author living in? Um, all of these things. Like, and and we're, ju- you know, we're just asking basic questions here. Yeah. You know, who's writing this? Who's the recipient uh, or the intended recipient? Um, what's the time period? And the time period is so important because the time period, um, you know, not only like places this person in the scheme of history, but also gives us some insight into maybe what's going on around the author at a particular point in time. 
Um, and you may go, how in the world do I figure out some of these things? And, um, and my answer to that, I don't know about you, Taylor, but my answer to that would be to have a great study Bible. Um, we've talked before about just the, um, how helpful it is to have a good study Bible because a good study Bible, like the ESV study Bible, uh, there's another one called the MacArthur study Bible. Um, I mean, there, there are a ton that are out there, but, um, like the ESV study Bible, before you even start reading the book, you know, if you're reading the gospel of Luke, before you start reading the gospel of Luke, there's going to be a multi-page introduction to the gospel of Luke. And it's going to tell you, here's who we think the author is. Here's why we think this is the author. Here's when we think the book was written. Here's why. Um, here's the cultural situation that was going on at the time when it was written. So a good study Bible, you're not going to have to do any work. You're just going to have to read that introduction. Yeah. And immediately it's going to tell you a lot of things that you might not have known coming yeah. into it. Any other suggestions there? Well, this is Yeah, this is kind of where I point back to my, my use of commentaries because that's... I. I got a history degree when I was at LSU, and it's been just one of my favorite things about approaching Scripture almost like in a fresh light within recent years was starting to use some of that experience. And there are commentaries that focus really well on setting the stage culturally, historically, before getting into kind of their interpretive take on any book or passage. And so I've spent a lot of time just reading folks talking about the history, the cultures, the people groups, what was going on in, world, in the world at that time in this area. And that's tremendously helpful. But there are, there's a bunch of resources that are free that you can get. Obviously, I'm, I'm a little tentative to just tell folks to go Google it because, gosh, <laughs> there's a lot of bad stuff. There is a ton of bad stuff. But yeah. I, think, I think if you're careful about it, and especially if, if you talk to someone who you trust and who you appreciate their their take on scripture they probably have some of their favorites and that's what i've done is just follow a lot of my favorite either scholars or friends and family members that that i think are are really respectable and admirable in their faith and see what they're using and that's yeah. that's been the way that i've kind of developed my own little personal go to i have a, a little short list of of scholars and resources that i like to use yeah yeah that's good um but, uh, you know, you don't have to have a library full of yeah. Bible commentaries. No, of course either. not. So, and that's um, where the study Bible kind of wins out. If there's mm -hmm. like a one, one stop to catch everything, the study Bible is meant to give you enough of that to enter any book or passage with that cultural context or that context. In general. That's right. And then you can go from there way deeper yeah. by, you know, digging into... And there are different kinds of commentaries as well. There are historical commentaries. There are theological commentary. I mean, there's just all kinds of different things as well. So yeah. um, maybe we can post some links to just yeah. some suggestions that we have. What's interesting is I feel like that speaks maybe to just the differences in how you and I like to approach stuff, because I've never owned a study Bible. As much <laughs> as I appreciate them, I would. it's like I would rather be able to sit down and have seven books spread across a desk. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, but that... I think for a lot of people can make uh, Bible study like it's oh a chore it's so hard to yeah. engage with yeah I get like, that I I've got to spend a bunch of money to because commentaries are not cheap no they're not most of the time um, and you can't just carry them around everywhere either. that's right that's right so um, yeah we'll try to provide some links to um, some examples of what we're talking about and some things that you might want to check out or engage with 
Um, but, but all that to say, that's going to really help you do a lot of that contextual work on the front end to establish the nature of the text itself. Um, so then from there, we want to discover the contents of the text. We want to discover the nature and then discover the contents of the text, which means reading yeah. the text. Um, and we're going to kind of work through a lo- little exercise here in a minute of, of kind of how to go about this. Um, but in discovering the contents of the text, we want to read it slowly. We want to really take note of the individual words and phrases that we're encountering and um, maybe make notes on those things as we go along or write down thoughts or take note of things that seem significant or things that are repeated or things that we think the author seemed to think were significant. Um, We can't do that unless we're reading the text closely. And and oftentimes that means I I can't blow through something in 20 seconds and immediately jump to interpretation. It may mean I need to... Um, read it several times or read it over a period of several days, like kind of come back to it with fresh eyes as well. Um, And then the last one, which we've been talking about the whole time, because it's really interwoven with all of this, is we want to discover the context of the text. Um, We establish the nature of it. We establish what's in the context and all are in the contents rather. And then that helps us to come away with a pretty accurate context for what's going on. Uh, there was a preacher in uh, England in the early 1900s, well-known, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, who said, uh, while there may be a certain value in hanging up texts on the walls of our homes um, or reading a collection of texts in a book like Daily Light, Daily Light was basically like a devotional book mm-hmm. in his day, um, He says, while there may be some value in those things, let us never forget that such practices can be dangerous because there is a balance in Scripture. And the context of each and every verse is always important. It is the simple truth to say, he says, that most of the heresies, heresies are just false beliefs about the Scripture or claims about God or the Bible uh, that are not true, that most of the heresies that have troubled the church throughout her long history have arisen because men and women have forgotten this simple principle that we have to um, consider and establish context. They have, he says, taken a text out of its context and have formulated a doctrine out of it, out of this uncontextualized text. If they had but taken it in its context, they would have been saved from the error they have embraced. Serious words. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he's really, uh, you know, firing, uh, firing a shot at the uh, the bow of all you guys who have bought, uh, you know, some uh, scripty uh, passage of scripture from Hobby Lobby and, uh, and thrown it up on the wall of the house. Oh you no. Know? Um, yeah, which you go, in, I go in people's houses and I'll see, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord desires for you to love justice and do mercy, you know, or, or yeah. love mercy, do justice and walk humbly with your God. Um, but what does that mean? You yeah. know, like, where does that come from? Who wrote that? You know, like, who was he writing to? What was going um, on at the time? Exactly. And because, so if I, if I throw something like that up on my wall, um, without context for it, then, then I become the, the sole like interpreter of it. 
it, it, it doesn't like a text like that that says I'm, I'm supposed to love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with my God. Um, suddenly, I get to be the one who decides what doing justice means versus asking the question, what does God mean yeah. when he says to do justice um, or to love mercy? What, I get to decide what it means to walk in humility with God versus what scripture says humility looks like. Yeah. Um, so it's not wrong or sinful, certainly, to put scripture texts around the house. Um, but let's be careful to be mindful that we're not doing that deductive kind of thing or that eisegesis kind of thing. Right. Where I'm, I'm taking something that sounds good, but I'm understanding it in the way that I want to understand it versus the way that scripture intends it. Yeah. So that's kind of what he's getting at there. Um, so let's, here's what I want to do. And we're, we're just going to try this and just see what happens. Um, if, if you can, if you're somewhere where you can open your Bible or go to this passage of scripture on your phone, um, we're going to be uh, reading Acts chapter one, verse eight. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to be reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. So you can search Acts 1, 8 ESV in Google or just open it up in your Bible. And uh, I'm going to read this to us, Taylor. And, um, and then we're just going to take a moment to observe, uh, like to read it closely. You may want to read it a couple times where you are, but we're just going to take a moment to observe what's there and then talk a little bit about just what we see. So, so here's the verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as, as you're looking at that, one of the reasons why I've chosen this text is because this is a passage of Scripture that I've seen on the walls in churches, yeah, like walking in churches, um, or even maybe as you're leaving from out of a church, um, I, I've seen this before. Like it's not just your house where there's scripture on the wall. Certainly, it's it's true in in church buildings. But when you w- but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Right. So. What are what are some things, uh, Taylor, that you see there as 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 we're walking through that? Yeah, so I guess one of the first questions that I would have is who's speaking, right? We've we've yep. talked about that a little bit. Who's speaking? Yep. And who are they speaking to? Right. And the thing that jumps to my mind is because you mentioned this is seen on the walls of buildings, right. not least of all in churches. Who is being spoken to? So yeah. before, right, before taking our... Who's speaking? Who's being spoken to? Yeah. yeah. Before applying this to us, maybe in our own church, what, are we making that right call? So yeah, yeah, who's speaking? Who's being spoken to? Why does this verse start with the word but? <laughs> right, yeah. What does that tell us? Yeah, it tells us that there's clearly something before this verse that yes. is very important. Uh-huh. Um, it's not a complete thought. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah we're looking at we're looking at an, an, a dependent clause. Yeah. Um, man, there's a, there. I feel like there's a lot here. What is the power? Yeah, you. But you will receive power. What What is that? What is that power? Um, and, what does all the earth consist of? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. To the to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. Um, there's. You'll see the word you. 
Yeah. Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Who is you? Mm-hmm. Um, that gets back to who's who's being spoken to or yeah. written to in this particular text. Um, and uh, we see these places: Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria. Where where are those places? You know, right. like I, most most of us uh, Westerners don't have a great uh, concept of Middle Eastern geography, yeah. <laughs> right? right? So, are those places right next door to each other? Are they close together? Are they uh, far away? Yeah. Um, wh- what does that mean that um, that you will be my witnesses what in is, those places? Yeah. What yeah. what what is he talking about there? So, I mean, that's just one verse, right? And we've identified, um, I don't know, seven or eight questions that mm-hmm. we have. Um, first of all, uh, who is this writing, Taylor? Who's writing this verse? Right. So this is in the book of Acts, meaning we've got Luke, the same Luke responsible for the gospel account, is writing Acts. So there's our author. Yeah, so Luke is the author. Uh, Luke's also the author of the gospel of Luke as well. And as we talked about in the previous episode, Luke Acts is is actually kind of meant to be, be a you know two like I don't know what the word compendium like they're they're yeah. meant to single work g- go together yeah yeah um, it's not as if they are one book but they but you know they do fit together and they are both by the same author so so that's who the author is here and and then who is Luke writing to or who is he writing about. Right, so this is where we're going to take that but that begins verse 8 and start tracing it backwards. And since we're only eight verses into yeah. the book of Acts, it makes sense just to jump straight back All to the All the way beginning. back to the very beginning, yeah. yeah. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Yep. In the first book, O Theophilus. And so there you go. Luke starts out with <laughs> telling us exactly who he's writing to. Well, well yeah, and, and, and notice that he says in the first book... Right. Um, and, and he's, he's addressing this book, the Acts of the Apostles. He's, he's addressing this to this person, Theophilus. Um, but he says in the first book, I, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Um, so he, he begins here by alluding back to his gospel to the gospel of Luke mm-hmm. in in the first book, O Theophilus. Um, it, now we don't know who Theophilus is. Um, this is um, clearly the the intended like audience here, the intended recipient of Acts. But um, it's also clear this person would have had maybe some familiarity with Luke's other book, right. the Gospel of Luke. Um, but what's so interesting here to me too is. This helps us establish context not only for this, for, for the book of Acts, but also helps us establish some context for the gospel of Luke as well, because Luke tells us what he was trying to do in the gospel of Luke. And that's not something we get a whole lot of from the biblical authors, where yeah, we kind of kind of see behind the curtain and like see some of their intention mm-hmm. in their writing. Here's what I was trying to communicate. Um, and that's fascinating to me, particularly with some of the things we've talked about in the past of like, um, like how biblical inspiration works and all that kind of stuff and how it's mysterious. What we see here very clearly is that Luke 
himself had like intentions yeah. and motivations for what he was writing. He wasn't he wasn't just like in a like Holy Spirit trance. And it wasn't like, man, the God gave me uh, this vivid dream and now I'm writing it down or something like that. Or the Lord appeared to me in a vision and said, tell people this. Right. Um, there are times where those things happen in the Bible, but here he's going, no, I was, I was trying to write about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, the day that he ascended into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's just the starting place here. And we've just gone back a few verses. So let's let's read on, Taylor. Okay. Where were we at? Um, let's see. We read through verse uh, two. So we'll start in verse three. Yeah. So, okay. Jesus, again, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So let's see, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but if you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I think I added a when, but when you, that was, that was wrong. I'm sorry. But verse eight. Yeah. But yeah. you will, receive but you power. will receive power. Yeah. So we worked our way back up to verses eight. Right. So, uh, okay. So we know Jesus is speaking. We know Jesus is speaking here. We, we've established that the author is Luke. And so we asked the question, who is being spoken to here? Right. And, and, and the answer is the disciples or yeah. the apostles. We see them asking a question and him apparently responding. Yeah. So if you've ever, if you know anything about the book of Acts, the book of Acts is all about the beginnings of the early church. Mm-hmm. Um, more than likely, if you know about Acts, it, you know about it either as the book where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and people start speaking in tongues. Yep. Um, or you know it as the book that talks about the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Right. Um, but what's interesting is Luke begins this book in this text that we're looking at. He begins this book by going back to the story of Jesus and like picking up at where the Gospels end, basically, with like Jesus's final words to his disciples and his ascension into heaven. And, um, and so, yeah, so we've learned a lot. And we haven't opened a commentary. I mean, That's other right. other than just the fact that we were already aware that Luke was the author of this book, all we've really done here is we've gone back and we've just read a larger um, swath of text. Yeah. So that that to me is a huge takeaway when we're reading the scripture is oftentimes it's not helpful to read really small pieces mm-hmm. of scripture. Um, and this is why um, just putting verses up on the wall or just trying to use individual verses for certain things can be problematic because when you read that verse in the context of the larger passage of Scripture that it is a part of or the book that it's in, um, it might wind up actually meaning something different than maybe what you thought. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like if, if I... If, if I didn't already know something about this, like if I hadn't, you know, prepared for, for this podcast, if I um, just randomly was asked, who is who is the you 
like you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And somebody said, oh, it's, it's in the first part of the book of Acts. I, I might have assumed that it was Peter speaking in his sermon at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and that maybe the you here was all the people, you know, that was in it, that were in attendance at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. That might have been the assumption that I would have made, and I would have been totally wrong. That's right. right. This is Luke talking about Jesus, and Jesus is the one saying these things to the apostles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, contextually, he's setting the stage for what this whole book is about, which is the acts of the apostles. Jesus right. has given them this command. He's told them these things, and now they go do it. And this is, um, uh, genre-wise, a, a historical narrative. Right. Like Luke is giving us a linear um, narrative that is descriptive in nature. Um, he's, he's basically saying, here's what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus ascended into heaven. He told his apostles these things. He then sent them, and then Pentecost happened, and the Holy Spirit came, and the church was birthed, and that's what the, here's what that looked like, and here's what the problems they faced. And then the Apostle Paul has this amazing conversion experience, and he goes from being a persecutor of the church to being a follower of Christ. And then he goes and plants churches all over the place. And like it is this incredible narrative description of how the church was birthed. Um, but we got this far just by really asking, it was, I think it was just one question, right? It was just who. We looked at <laughs> verse much, 8 and yeah. said, so who, who yeah. is writing, who is you, and who is speaking? Yeah. But we can ask all of those kind of descriptive questions. And, and again, I, I love that you pointed out, we haven't, we haven't opened up any outside resources. Yet. Right. We're, not, we're not jumping to commentaries. We're not necessarily even looking at a study Bible for this. Right. By asking these questions, who, right? Who's, who's writing, who's speaking, who's being spoken, spoken to? Right. That took us all of a minute to look seven yeah. verses earlier and, and figure that out. You can do the same with where. Yep. Where are they speaking? Well, they're in Jerusalem because he told them to stay in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. When? When is this happening? Obviously, after the resurrection, because right. we're picking up after the book of Luke. Yep. Uh, you know, the, what, what are the other ones? Why? Why did this happen? Well, they asked him a question, and he's uh-huh. responding. He's answering. Yep. All of this thing, all of, all of these questions, all of these parts of the observation step really can be done without any outside help. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Um, and and so, I mean, there's, gosh, there's just so much in here, even in just these short eight verses. Um, I would encourage you to take some time just with these eight verses and just do the work of observation here. Just kind of go through and, and see what's on the page and see what sticks out to you and see what you have questions about. And, um, and, and, and let us, let's just kind of close out today with just some, some tips or some steps for engaging in that observation process, um, whether you're using this Acts 1, 1 through 8, or, or some other passage of Scripture, um, my first recommendation, Taylor, would be to mark up the passage. Um, right. And one of the things you can do, I, the inductive method is known because there is a whole uh, marking system. <clears throat> if that's something that's uh, that you want to be nerdy about... <laughs> You certainly can. Like you can Google inductive Bible study uh, markings or, or something along those lines. And what you will find is that there is a whole system for um, of, of circles and underlining and different colors and all that kind of stuff. Like if you want to get real 
systematic and crazy in your Bible marking. Huh. Uh, but at the very least, man, just have a pen or a highlighter and underline the things that seem significant or the things that stick out to you um, because those are the things you have questions about, you know, like so in, in Acts 1, 1 through 8, Jesus says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? So my question is, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> that's simple, right? Yeah, that's not language. We've we've heard the ba- of of baptism. Yeah. We learned about John the Baptist and Jesus was baptized, and Jesus and Matthew tells his disciples to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But then he says you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right. So what is that? Like that's that's a big question I would have that I would underline or put a question mark next to. And uh, Luke answers that question for us later on as we just continue to read the story. Remember, he's setting things up here at the very beginning. Um, Gosh, man, I don't know if you guys can hear the rain, but it's just like pouring rain outside today. I can't wait to walk out. Um, so don't be afraid to write in your Bible, mark up the passage, circle, underline, highlight, whatever you want to do, write in the margins, get creative. There are journaling Bibles out there that include like lines so you can take notes in your Bible. Uh, there are ESV scripture journals that you can buy that like we use here at the church that are really helpful. Um, so I would encourage you to check out those kinds of things. If you're somebody that wants to take notes in your Bible and, and, and they're fantastic. Um, next would be to really try to take note of two or three overarching themes that you see in the passage. So if, if we go back to Acts 1, 1 through 8, Taylor, mm-hmm. um, what, are, what are some themes maybe that we could pull out from that text that... Um, and, 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 and I should mention that Taylor, like, Taylor wasn't prepped for this at all. So Taylor's, <laughs> Taylor's coming in cold... Just, uh, you know, along with me, I knew we were going to look at this, but um, he's coming in cold looking at Acts 1, th- 1 through 8. And so just just as you're scanning it, what are some things off the top of your head that look like themes? Yeah, so this? power seems like a theme to me. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jesus is giving commands. Um, he's yeah. appearing with proof, right? With not just any proof, but proof of, of his resurrection, this power of God. Uh, they're waiting for this promise of the Father. They're they're given the command to go baptize and to be baptized. You will receive power back again when we get to verse eight, our key verse. So, so I would think power is a big one. Yeah. Uh, maybe community with all of the you, you see them together in this whole thing. Yeah. While staying yeah. with them, while ordering them not to depart, right? To stay together. Uh, he when they had come together, he showed up. He there's there's a lot of yeah. a communal aspect. Those might be the biggest two that I'm seeing. Yeah, baptism is a theme here as well. Verse yeah. five for John, Bap, John the Baptist is who he's talking about. John baptized with water. That might be a question you have, by the mm-hmm. way. Verse five when he says for John baptized, who's John? Right. Are we talking about John the Apostle, John the Baptist? Um, what John are we talking about here? Um, but then he says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Mm-hmm. Dum, dum, dum. You know, it's like <laughs> foreshadowing. Um, so, I mean, there, just right off the top, we see some things, the themes, uh, the kingdom of God could potentially be a theme here that we see. And these are generally expressed through repetition, yeah. most commonly. Yeah. So if you see something happening, especially if it's really similar phrasing, a couple of times in a passage, 
that should probably clue you in that we're looking at a theme. Yeah, I'll tell you another one uh, that sticks out to me that I hadn't even thought about. But, you know, the more you read your Bible, the more you'll notice some of these things. But verse 3 says, He presented Himself, Jesus presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. That's right. Right? So as you read your Bible... Uh, there, there is a whole world of biblical numerology yeah. that is going to come up, and you're going to see certain numbers repeated over and over again. Yeah. And so this should immediately make you think of Noah, right? 40 days, 40 nights. Jesus appears to them 40 days. Um, that's not necessarily a theme here, but it, it certainly is a theme within numerology in the Scriptures. Yeah. Um, and so just the more you read your Bible, the more you're going to be like, oh, that's kind of like this over here. So maybe I should go check that out as well and, and compare and contrast. Um, okay, so um, mark your Bible up, list two or three overarching themes you see in the passage. Um, and then for each verse, I would encourage you to just write down two or three observations for each verse. I mean, you could really... Um, it's amazing how deep you can go, like how much you can take note of when you really just take your time and go slow and try to close read. Um, but yeah, try try to just start with two for each verse. Write down two quick observations for each verse. And I mean, if you want to add more, feel free. Um and then try to answer those kind of key journalistic questions that we've maybe mentioned already, but who, what, where, why, when, and how. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're establishing contacts, if you were writing a newspaper column about a crime that had happened, those are questions that you're going to be asking because those answers establish the context for the situation that you're writing about. And um, the same thing is true as we're studying the scriptures. Uh, what are the main action verbs? Um, that 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 could be an important question, um, especially as we get into interpretation and application. In some cases, you know, the question could be: um, uh, Jesus is commanding his disciples to do something here. I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm a disciple of Jesus. Is Jesus also commanding me yeah. to do the same thing? Right. So I have to figure out like what is the command. And then I have to interpret the passage to come to an understanding of the command. And then I have to figure out, does that same kind of command apply to me in my life? That's a great... Yeah, because I guess this is where we're going to get into interpretation and application. But um, what would that mean for us being witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, right? Right, right. yeah. Exactly. Does that mean buy a plane ticket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting is is there are times when the commands that Jesus is giving are commands that should be applied to our life, and there are times when maybe they shouldn't be in quite an explicit way. And if we don't do the work of establishing context and the work of interpretation, then we might apply something to our lives in an incorrect way yeah. or come, come away with a wrong understanding. Uh, next, look for things that are emphasized, uh, repeated, related, alike, unlike. Uh, look for things that are true to life, things that are like that resonate mm-hmm. with you, and you're like, yeah, man, that is just a, that's like a universal truth. Um, emphasized, repeated, related, alike, unlike, and true to life. Um, and then next, my recommendation would be to work a paragraph at a time and to summarize your observations. Um, what I will often do is I'll try to read um, a big chunk at once 
and then I'll go back and slowly work through it a paragraph at a time. Yeah. Um, and when I'm working a paragraph at a time, that's going to help me not take individual verses out of context. Yeah, but reading it, reading a larger chunk ahead of time also helps to not take a paragraph out that's of correct. context. That's right. Yeah, because reading a bigger passage is going to help you maintain the narrative integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, uh, reread it over and over again. <laughs> reread it over, over, over and over again, because I'm sure you've had this experience, Taylor, of, of reading, having read a certain passage a million times, and then you go read it again for the 400th time, and suddenly something jumps off the page to you that has just never seemed significant before. You never noticed before for whatever reason. You know what's most amazing about this is the more I read the Bible, the more often this happens. Yeah, it, yeah. it used to that really used to be one of those things that I thought, oh yeah, that's cool. I guess every now and then that happens. But the more I read and the more I engage with Scripture, I mean, this is almost a daily occurrence now that yeah. things are popping out and just shocking me. Well, I think that's because it's like a muscle. I, th- I yeah. think it's something like this is, a, a, I mean, Bible reading is a spiritual discipline. Sure. Um, like it's something that we can get better at. And the more you do it, uh, the more you practice some of these things we're talking about, close reading the text, um, the more that you're going to, I think, see things that maybe you haven't seen before. And yeah. so this is, it's like working out in that sense. Like it is something, the more I do it, the better I'm going to get at it, maybe the faster I'm going to get at it as well. And, um, and also the more I'm going to glean from it at the end of the day. So, hey, let's, uh, let's stop there for today. That's a lot of content. Um, I would really encourage you to go and do this work of observation. Go spend time in the Word this week, um, taking to heart some of these tips that we've given you, and just spend time reading and uh, taking note of what is on the page. And then next week, Taylor, let's jump into interpretation um, which again is, is real, you know, I think it's a real kind of murky thing for a lot of people. Sure. And people think, man, I, I need a seminary degree to do that work or, or something like that. Um, but believe us, you can, uh, you can do it. So uh, uh, we'll see you guys next week as we continue on. Awesome. All right.